Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. You can see behind the scenes there. I think I just freaked out Ryan Matta. He did not know that the uh, camera was going to do a hard reboot. and I was going to have to restart my system. Today is Wednesday. It is September the 6th, and you are watching the Kyle Serafin Show streamed live from Liberty Hill, Texas. I've got a guest with me today, a good friend of ours, suspendable George Hill. You will remember George Hill if you have seen the uh, scandal the FBI got involved in by sharing information, or rather Bank of America shared information with the FBI. He outed that. He came forward. Even though he was a retired guy that didn't need to get involved, he still felt that it was his duty and obligation as an American citizen who wants to live in a free country. So we've got George on. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the stuff that's been going on in the news today, kind of our take on my metaphor, the overgrown garden. And we'll do a long discussion, I think, on that. And that's going to be probably the meat of what today's show is. Before we get too started and uh, too far away from what... uh, what I want to cover, I want to start with a thanks to my friends over at Catholic Vote. So if you all will bear with me here, these are our friends at Catholic Vote, America's top Catholic advocacy organization in the fight for faith, freedom, and family. Great place. Get the uh, get the email. And here's the loop right here. I've got the loop on my phone. I'm going to open it up right now because I already took a look at it today. We've got a story from the loop that we're going to discuss. George and I will uh, kind of riff on. The uh, number one story is Democrats calling on Democrats to primary Biden. That's not a shock. That should be definitely happening. Democrats confronting Biden over his migration crisis. About time. Welcome to the party. And uh, what we'll be talking about a little bit later, the American Library Association president is a so-called lesbian Marxist, self-proclaimed. And she thinks that libraries should be recruiting zones for leftists and socialist organizing. That sounds wonderful. That's what we that's what we really like to hear. In fact, we did talk a little bit about that with Tiffany Justice, if you guys recall our episode with Moms for Liberty. So there is that. Uh, the Biden team struggling to support. I'm sorry, denying support to struggling parents. Of course, what would you expect? And a couple of other little pieces on here, like a, a novena, if you're into praying, if you're a Catholic. Uh, some stuff going on in Loudoun County, which is just outside of the Washington, D.C. little circle. And an analysis, the FBI under undercounts the good guys with guns situation, which that is definitely going to be worth your read. I've already read what it's about, and I think you guys will like that article. So check out Catholic Vote by all means. Definitely do that. And uh, if you're doing that, you can also check into our friends over at Patriot Coolers. I don't know what happened to my uh, little my little bubble here. If you'll bear with me, it looks like our promo code is, is in the wrong color, but promo code Kyle. Go to PatriotCoolers.com. Promo code Kyle gets you 10% off. You'll get free shipping over 50 bucks, which you can see on the screen right now is one of their hard-sided coolers. These are rotomoted. These are, like I said, very similar to like a Yeti or anything like that, and they are outstanding products. So check into those. We have them at the Seraphim House. I actually have one of their one-gallon jugs that I'm a big fan of, and we carry it around in the minivan to hydrate the three kids who inevitably have either forgotten or lost a water bottle. That's not a surprise to you. Big thanks to our friend Eric Jason in the chat, our moderator who has hit a, uh, another Rumble rant saying, smash the like button. Folks, if you have time and you are watching us on Rumble, make sure that Rumble thumbs up is green, showing that you did like the video. Uh, whenever something tickles your fancy, we do appreciate that. All right, without too much further ado, I want to bring on, there he is, the man, the myth, the legend in many ways. George, I wanted to get into a little funny story about how you and I first connected because I felt like it was the... It's the standard for the way guys like you and I should should uh, make contact with each other. Oh, we have no video or we know audio from you. Is it there? Is it muted? Who? He's got audio and video on both. Okay. George, can you hear me? 
I just can't hear George. Oh, uh, give me one second, Kyle, if you can't hear him. Hold oh, on. Okay. It says connection problems on my end, whatever that means. And maybe he can't hear me. Oh, I don't I don't know, Kyle. I can hear both of them, and I got his audio, but um, give me one more second, I guess. This is the fun of a live show, folks. Bear with us just one moment. We'll get George where we can both hear him. How about now, Kyle? I don't know. George, can you hear me? Nope. George can't hear me. <laughs> There's something on your uh, Bummer, guys. Do you want to have him dial back in real quick? Yeah, maybe you could jump out and come back in. Yeah, if you jump out and come back in, George. Uh, <laughs> the folks in the chat are saying they can hear both of us, but we can't hear each other. So that's going to be a weird talk past conversation. Yeah, George, if you'll uh, bail out of the uh, the show and come on back in, we'll, we'll uh, get you connected. And I'll, I'll keep the warm intro that we already did. We'll say how great he was. Uh, before we do any further on that, I want to talk about just kind of the, the quick things that we're going to discuss today. There's the arrest of Nathan Hughes. Many of you guys may have seen that from the Hodge twins tweeting it out, said it was a friend of theirs arrested by the oh. FBI. You found out. What I forgot it was. he can't hear you. So George, uh, you have to leave. I forgot it. You were telling him what to do, and he he couldn't hear you. So <laughs> George, you're gonna Kyle wants you to leave and come back real quick, and then uh, we think, yep, there we go. Okay, got you, Kyle. Fantastic. Uh, we're gonna talk about some of the uh, the new the new Bud Light of the day, which I think uh, George and I will both have an opinion on as gun owners. And uh, of course, we saw that the the leader of the Proud Boys was sentenced yesterday to 22 years in prison, which I think is going to be unsettling for all of us to discuss. It is the nature of of government to continue to grow and to continue to overreach. I feel like we've reached sort of that terminal and dangerous point at this at this juncture in our country. And so this this particular episode is known as uh, the overgrown garden, but we're talking about a potentially post-constitutional America. George, have you have you uh, can you hear me? I can hear you fine now. Fantastic. Yeah, we've solved the problem. It might have been my hard reboot. So I want to I want to dig into the, uh, the the quick and dirty of it. The, you and I, when we first interacted, you found me on Twitter. We didn't know each other while we worked for the FBI. And I felt like the way that you engaged me, because I get a lot of people reaching out and they're like, hey, you know, let's connect. And here's my crazy uh, 15 paragraph blurb about why you should know me. And and yours was really tight when you when you reached out. Do you recall what you said? I do recall one sentence, which was you have sources. Check me out. That's right. Um, because having been in this business for, for over four decades, um, I have little time for, for idle chat. Um, and there are just so many posers out there. I just don't have any time left in my life uh, to, to deal with them. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like a, a thing born with in the, it developed in the Marine Corps. If you're not early, you're late. You know, don't waste people's time. Um, you know, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not a touchy-feely guy. And... Um, it, it's it cuts both ways. Some people appreciate it. Other people find it rather off-putting. The the thing that that struck me was you basically said, you know, I was in the Boston field office. You have sources. Check me out, and then make connection if you want. And I did exactly that. It's like this is my name. This is where you. This is how you would source who I am. And so I did. And I reached out to the Boston field office uh, friends that we have a mutual friend, and got a, a quick review on who you were as a person, and that was enough. And then you and I had a phone call. I think in December of last year because I know I was sitting yeah. in a hotel. And, yeah. and, and we had never met while we worked in the bureau, uh, but got the, got the immediate vibe of a kindred spirit. Uh, like you said, I had the, your, your reputation was no nonsense, a straight shooter and, and a very fair individual who just didn't, you know, mince words. And I went like, oh, that's a guy I want to talk to. And since then, our friendship, I think has grown and, and it's been really beneficial to me to have a lot of the, uh, the experience that you have. And we're going to 
bring that to the audience today. But if you are out there on Twitter or on social media and you want to reach out to a guy like George Hill, you want to reach out to a guy like me or a Steve Friend or a Garrett O'Boyle and you want to introduce yourself, if you want to send us like a long sell job, that's pretty much what we do for a living is read through sell jobs. Would you agree with that? Yeah. It's, you know, where's your elevator pitch? Here's, a, here's who I am. Here's why. And you have to come out with the hook, which is this is why it's beneficial for you to pursue this you know, relationship. Um, if you can't spew that out in three or four sentences, you're done. Um, but most importantly, it has to be, you know, this is why it's, it's, it's beneficial to you for us to make this connection because um, a lot of people reach out and it's about the benefit to them, which I don't know you and would, I could care less. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly it. It's like, why, why do I care? Yeah. So we had a, we had a, a, a couple of uh, journalists reach out. We had some folks. I, I have some friendly relationships with the people that were the staff at Project Veritas. We're actually going to show some of their video later on. Um, and some of the staff at Project Veritas had reached out to me and asked me if I would promote a cause of theirs. And I think it's a worthy cause. And the cause is essentially Project Veritas has failed to uh, to back the journalists that were raided by the FBI in New York. And they are not supporting them in a legal sense. And so they're kind of on the hook for whatever their legal bills are. And those may be substantial because they're going against the federal government. And so they sent me this video and the video starts off with, I am this person and I was nominated by the people at Project Veritas to do this thing. And I have done this thing. And it's like, I, you lost me. I don't care. I, I already don't care. And I even like these people. And so the, the, the concept that we teach in, uh, in briefing, and I know that uh, you've probably helped your, uh, the, the people that were students underneath you in the college setting, but also in the professional sense, the bottom line up front, the bluff, the, the powerful nature of just giving me a reason to listen. Yeah, if you can't capture that person in, in one or two sentences, um, it, it's over. Um, the longer you go on trying to make your point, um, you're just wasting your time. And as time goes by, whether it's in sentences or in seconds, you're pushing that person away. So one of the things that I've learned from hanging out, uh, talking to you, and like I said, I do benefit from your experience. You've got uh, like a much deeper depth of wisdom. Mine is sort of shallow and, and very broad. And I have that benefit of working in the private sector. But I've kind of come to the concept that the United States is a lot like a garden. Uh, did you ever, I don't know if you ever read like American literature going up and I, and I recall there, there's this idea, the myth of Edenic possibilities. Do you recall that from like a classical education at all? Uh, maybe not. I do remember the term and I, and I keep it alive and refreshed, um, which is you need to weed your garden from time to time, um, meaning take people out of your life that are just choking out the sunshine and the nutrients and the water from people who actually enrich your life. It's, might be along the same vein. It's the same idea. So the idea was is that when the when the European settlers came over to the New World, to the New Continent, there was an untouched sort of pristine land. Let's just uh, we'll just have to ignore the fact that they were indigenous peoples here and doing whatever they were doing. But for the for the European mindset, they had come into a place that was essentially what they called um, an Edenic garden. It was a new world. It was a new possibility. Even the the name New World implies that they had a new shot at sort of the uh, the, the covenant with God. 
And we talked about adultery yesterday and kind of got into the things that have that have gotten in the way, I think, in our society. But the the literary references, the myth of Edenic possibilities, which is to say this, this fundamental hopefulness, and it's captured all the way through American literature. And I think you'll find that this is like really true when we think about the governmental structure, which is that they said, we have a new shot, a new birth of freedom on this land to be able to bring forth something that has not been done because we are starting with a incredibly wealthy land in resources, in space, in people, in capabilities, and so on. We have, you know, we have ports and we have timber and we have waterways and we have the ability to grow things and all this kind of stuff was all available to these guys that 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 looked out and saw, you know, a basically a vastness out to the West. And the idea of the garden was if you create a beautiful landscape architecture blueprint to be able to lay out this foundational principle, which was our constitution, then you can create sort of uh, a perfect place for people to live. And, and and they use the word Edenic in literature because they're talking about the Garden of Eden, literally the first covenant that that man and God had together and, and sort of the first shot at a perfect existence. And so America, in many ways, for the Europeans and certainly for the founding fathers, represented a opportunity to maybe re-grasp that sort of Edenic capability of living in harmony with God. And we got a really, really good constitution. We got a really, really good framework to play with. And yet... As is the nature of all things human, we are flawed creatures. I think you would acknowledge that pretty well. And we are also people who are not necessarily always attuned to the things that are the most important to ourselves until it's too late. And so the idea is, in my estimation, the federal government and the and the mechanisms of the federal government, which were supposed to be very limited and very, um, they were supposed to be very narrow in function, have gotten so broad recently because they have been neglected. And my, my sort of um, analogy is, is like ivy, like common ivy. There's, it's also known as English ivy, but it basically grows on the ground. It's a ground cover and it can take up a lot of space and it can be beautiful. But if you don't let it, you know, if you don't have something out there keeping the boundaries at bay, then it'll grow up your walls and it'll get into your foundation and it'll take out the bricks on the side and it'll choke out your trees. So that's the, that's the kind of the, the, um, the analogy I thought. How do you feel about the creeping nature of government from your different, you know, your four decades or so within? It's changed radically over the course of my lifetime. I'm re obviously retired now, so we're talking about, you know, at least as far as being aware of the scope of federal government, we're talking about over five decades. Um, it's changed radically in, in size. Um, it's creeped into every aspect of our lives, but it's it's not by accident, it, as you alluded to just a few seconds ago, Kyle. It, it's actually by design. It's just it's part of the structure of government to continue to grow, to continue to uh, uh, to push its way into people's lives. Some of it altruistic, thinking they're doing something good for the country. Uh, it, in most cases, though, it's come to the point where it's all about power and amassing power. Um, you know, I remember Reagan talking about the, the federal deficit back in the 80s. Um, and now we're up to, I don't know, I'm sure someone will correct me, $23 trillion. At $23 trillion in debt, I should be riding on black silk ribbons of road, uh, you know, and, and never sitting in traffic. But it's just crept into every aspect of our society, which is what the framers had intended to avoid with the concept of federalism. I feel like you've had a, probably a, a much greater insight into sort of the budgetary process and the way that the federal government sort of grows, at least in the two agencies that you've worked for. Can you kind of give people some insight into how that process works and and maybe that it's not the nefarious thing that people think it is, that it's actually sort of like what we call the banality of evil? I think the best example of that would be 
let's just talk about the defense appropriations bill. Uh, I worked in the private sector for a few years in between wars, and I worked for a defense company, uh, which, which got gobbled up. But you have congressmen and senators that will push for, you know, that we need to have multiple places in the country for these engines to be manufactured just to, and they treated it as a jobs program. And then they would stand in front of the camera and they would look like a, a defense hawk, you know, pro-America waving flag back in, you know, behind their head in the background. Um, when in reality, they were just protecting um, their seat under the guise of protecting their constituency. So you had to have multiple places in the country where the engines for the B-52 bombers were made, multiple places uh, that General Electric used to manufacture fighter engines and engines for helicopters. You know, I'm just using that as an example. But, you know, if you're not expanding in government, you're not doing your job. If you're not, you know, pushing programs out, if you're not building headcount, you're failing. That, I think that's a really profound thought, and most people would never consider that because from private industry, if you are not streamlining your business, if you are not trying to get leaner and meaner and you don't make a profit, the incentive of the government is exactly the opposite from what you just said. And I think that seems to be my experience as well. If you're not expanding, you're failing. Yeah, 100%. So in the analogy of the garden that I like to use, I always talk about the Bill of Rights as being sort of those those green landscape boundaries. You know, you've, you've lined out, here's where the lawn is, and here's where the ivy is, and here's where the flower beds are, and you put down those barriers. And those barriers are great, right? And they do a decent job of letting you know where the boundary is. But if you don't come in with a weed whacker and, uh, and, and really trim and hedge out those creeping ivies, the, the government that needs to expand in order to feel like it's successful, if you're not constantly hitting that barrier with a, with a fast uh, spinning string, then you're going to see it grow over and suddenly your ivy is going to be in your lawn and your flower bed is going to get choked out by ivy and suddenly everything is government. And in many ways, I feel like that's where we're all right now. We, the weed whacker is not being used to, to maintain those boundaries, which are sort of the civil liberties um, in the first, the, the first 10 amendments that are supposed to be delineating that line. But there's no incentive to use the weed whacker. It's actually incentive to not use the weed whacker, um, which we just covered a few seconds ago. Um, you know, this is why this uh, 2025 plan is important. This is why the next election is so important, um, because the federal government will continue to metastasize and spread and creep like ivy over everything and choking it out. And, and what we're seeing now is the ivy choking out people's civil liberties. And people are just starting to notice that how dangerous this, this spread has become. And a lot of these people, I think, live in the middle of the lawn. They had no idea that they were near the boundaries, but, the, the, but it's crept so far away from the boundary that it's actually getting into, you know, everyday people, moms who are on Twitter or TikTok and, uh, you know, like a, a dad who wants to post a video about something and realizes suddenly he crossed the line that he didn't even know existed. Uh, right. You know, he's he's made yeah, some innocent no, posts. I mean, no one is illegal. Everyone's welcome here. Whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know, not not these people, not this many people. They're like, that's a great analogy. They're living in the middle of the lawn. They have no idea that their virtue signaling is actually has some sort of, of, of cost to it. And they're they're just starting to realize it now. The question is, is that, you know, are people realizing too late or. Or there's some people that just want to go by the axiom when you're in too deep, go deeper. 
there's that. Uh, the other thing I see a lot of is people self-censoring. And I, I, I host these Twitter spaces on a regular basis to hear what a couple hundred people may have to say on any given night. And people will constantly say, you know, in case there's any feds listening, I want to say this. And, you know, there's a, a, a tremendous fear of the, the capabilities of the government. Can you talk about a little bit about one, how founded that is, but also maybe sort of the limitations that exist? Because there are obviously human limitations that people don't understand. I think that's I'm going to go with the opposite of that where most people think it'll go. I think it's more psychological in that when someone says, I got to be careful what I say because, you know, SEC D might be monitoring this podcast. Um, and then they do that either consciously or subconsciously to get the listener to say, Ooh, this person's going to say something really profound and dangerous. So I think it's, it's akin to when someone says, you know, uh, and, and I know Dan Bongino quotes, Demi Moore a lot on this one with uh, that movie where she was trying to be a seal or something like that. You know, I don't, I don't want to Jane. make a statement, but yeah, <laughs> I don't want to make a statement, but you know, and the, and the, the commander says, yeah, people who don't want to make statements, don't make statements about making statements. So I, I think it's like that. It's, it's more psychological to kind of draw people in like, Oh, this man or this woman's going to say something really profound. I better listen now. So I, I don't think, we see overtly evidence of self-censorship. I think it's more uh, covertly and, and underneath our, our field of vision where people either withdraw entirely from social media or, you know, I even have friends when I'm out hiking and we'll get into these rather heated discussions on the trail uh, up in, in New Hampshire, which is pretty blue. You have a lot of people from the Democratic Socialist People's Republic of Massachusetts who hike in New Hampshire. And, you know, my friend will like stop talking. I'm like, no, don't stop. You know, say it out loud. If it offends them, it offends them. There's, there's no penalty to be paid for stifling yourself. In fact, there's a penalty to be paid for stifling yourself. That's I think what I'm getting at is that people are internally censoring their thoughts. Like you say, the, the people that are that are most concerned, it's not them saying, well, I don't want to say this because of this. It's that they literally walk out and they go, you know, my wife is one of those people. It's it's very conscious, uh, conscientious people. It's very agreeable people, which you and I probably um, we may be one, but not the other uh, with with, uh, with people who have been around us. Like, I don't think you have a problem saying your mind. And, and if that hurts someone's feelings, that turns out to be a them problem. Uh, I, I feel yeah. very similarly. My wife will be like, oh, don't say that. Like, wh what if somebody hears you? And it's exactly right. It's like, well, that's a them problem. Why are they eavesdropping on my conversation? If I'm so right. interesting, it turns out they can turn into my podcast and hear exactly what I think if they want to hear more. And if they don't, they don't ever have to hear me again because I'm about to walk past them because I walk really quickly and I don't have time for slow, you know, dob you know, dobbling around on the, on the sidewalk. And if you happen to be listening and eavesdropping and that offends you. That's a you problem. It turns yeah. out you have no right not to be offended in this country. Right. Right. I mean, I try to police my language as, as a you know 26 year veteran, 13 of which were active duty Marine Corps. My language can be rather colorful. Mm -hmm. um, I tr if, if I'm out in public, I try to be mindful that there are people with children or, you know, other people um, that, that may be, be turned off by, you know, colorful language. But the content of my speech like you said, Kyle, if they have a problem with it, that's a their problem. Not that's not my problem, and I'm not going to censor myself for fear of, you know, tweaking someone. You know, as of today, there is no legal penalty uh, for saying something coming out of a CVS that someone coming into the CVS might find offensive. Except maybe in Michigan, it looks like they may have criminalized that in some way. 
They, they, yeah. There's some some strange laws. I don't know how they hold up against our First Amendment, but my my instinct is the weed whacker, at least the primary weed whacker that we should be using, is our protected First Amendment speech. You don't have a right to be unoffended. You And that includes people speaking ways that you don't like either. That should go both ways. I get into these on Twitter all the time where people are blocking. Oh, I blocked this guy. And they feel really proud of it. It's like, no, I, I listen to this guy. In fact, if I find them very offensive and it's not because of something they're saying that is, you know, gross or, or, um, or just profane, if it's something that I just find very repulsive as an idea, I oftentimes follow them because I want to know. I just followed a guy named William Legate who is like David Hogg's buddy. I actually follow David Hogg too. Um, I do too, yeah. And, and it's like, I want to know what people who I don't agree with say because I need to know what terminology is being used and I need to know how radical they're being. And, and, and I do it and I'll engage with them in good faith. And if I find out that they cannot be, you know, if I, if I can't handle that, that's a me problem, it turns out. It turns out that my inability to listen to them is it's really on me. No, I agree 100 percent. And, you know, I, I love following people that I, I disagree with, which is one of the reasons I'm more active on Twitter than I am on Truth Social. Truth Social tends to be somewhat of an echo chamber. Um, I applaud uh, President Trump and, and Devin Nunes for, for developing that platform. Uh, it's a friendly place. But I'd rather I mean, I live in, in deep blue Massachusetts. I find it helpful to listen to, you know, these people and what you know, what their stance is. I live around, surrounded by people with BLM uh, signs and, and hate has no home here signs. Um, I, I love seeing these people and listening to them um, because it helps me, you know, um, it, it enriches my own perspective. Right. And and clearly they're not all bad people. That's, I think, the most important thing that I mentioned yesterday. Uh, and, and for folks who didn't listen to it, we kind of went on this rant about if you if you think that you're the end all be all, then you are also idolatizing or you're I, idolatizing. How do you say that word? Idolatizing, idolizing, <laughs> idolizing. Yeah. Thank you. I added an extra syllable for no reason. Uh, if you're idolizing yourself because you think that you're the font of, of the only capability of truth, then you are also failing. Like We should all be capable of reflection. And and so anyway, I, I love to have it. Like you say, it enriches. I think that's the right word for it. I've got a couple of videos. These are some of the things that are happening right now. We talked about the, the growth of the the, uh, the administrative state, the way that the, the government continues to, by its own necessity, by the way it's designed, creep. And we are now seeing this sort of really bizarre sort of turn where people are being arrested for misdemeanors in this country. We just saw um, Enrico Tario sentenced to 22 years. I want to talk about that a little bit too, because I know you have a lot of experience in the, in the counterterrorism space. And we can kind of just... I think if you don't work in the in that world, 22 years sounds like a punishment that people might get in in some reasonable setting. But, you know, I've seen guys who were involved in creating child pornography get 10 years and that being a rough sentence, like a really rough sentence. I've seen guys distributing child pornography on, on the dark web, you know, get 40 months of which they served half of it kind of deal. And so the idea that someone who wasn't physically at an event that he conducted insurrection by remote using like not his phone. I don't even know what he was supposed to have been using. I think they even took his devices. I think he was in custody at the time. Right. It was, it was mental. It was yeah. He was using amazing. the mental botnet to reach out to the satellites yeah. and communicate with his buddies through the uh, unspoken uh, conspiracy. Anyway, the, the, the absurdity of that kind of goes to the point where I'm going to show you a couple of videos right now. Do we have the, the arrest videos? Number four um, capable, Ryan. Yes, sir. Let's let's send that. This came out from the Hodge twins. This is a guy named Nathan Hughes. He's in Fayetteville, Arkansas. He is just uh, a guy that was arrested for the FBI. I'm going to talk about the circumstances of it and what the, the concrete allegations are in the fact patterns the DOJ put out. And we're also going to talk about the I guess Liberty Safes wants to be the next Bud Light because of this. So we'll, we'll <laughs> let's roll uh, video number four if you could. I know there's two parts to it, so we'll talk over if we have to. 
You want uh, part one, Kyle, with the cars or part one outside the store? Let's roll the cars first. Part and, two. And, and you can do it without sound because George and I will actually comment on it, I think. Roger. So, folks, what you're seeing is camera from the surveillance uh, at the Hughes residence. And we are showing now a classic FBI arrest warrant, search warrant package coming in. You see a Suburban. There's a Buick. That's probably some kind of... Uh, I don't know who's getting the Buick, but in my office, it was always an SAC or an ASAC. Yeah. And we've got a bunch of people coming in in uh, standard government cars. you got your Chevys and your Dodges. You've got another SUV rolling in. Um, there's another sedan. These are all darked out, so pretty standard. You've got another sedan here. This looks like a Ford. So that was probably, what, like six cars, maybe seven cars? Seven cars. And that's pretty, that's pretty classic figure, at least double occupancy. Then it skips forward about 10 or 12 minutes. This is probably the search package coming in. And so we just saw another two cars roll in from the other side of the highway. There's another one dropping in there as well. So you've probably got upwards of 20 people on scene. Um, I'm wondering, George, did you, did they have you on scene at all with any of the searches or were you uh, kind of back command post status? George just cut out, Kyle. Okay. He just came right back George, in. George, so when, you were, that when you were working in Boston, did you go um, on scene for any of the searches for any of the subjects you guys were involved in, or were you mostly command post? No, I, I did both. Uh, I'd say probably two-thirds command post, but a couple times on scene because um, some of the people on my squad were on ERT, evidence recovery team. Um, so, you know, it, it gave me an opportunity to observe firsthand, uh, you know, their performance and interaction uh, with the rest of the uh members of the team and agents on site. Um, but, but that's, that's SOP. That's how they roll these days that I'm only, I only joined the bureau in 2010 and that was how they rolled then. I don't know how they rolled, you know, pre nine 11. I'm sure it wasn't that heavy. Um, you, and yeah. And also from a tactical standpoint, if you need that many men and women with guns and you come down a, a, a fatal funnel like that, um, you're all going to get smoked. So I, I, to me, it's just a show of force. So I used to um, describe it as law enforcement cosplay. That's pretty much my standard ever since I went to the FBI Academy. Um, you know, I didn't have any other law enforcement to, to, to ping it against other than my interactions with local police. And what I would say is what the state police will do with one trooper on the side of the road or most police officers will do with a, a partner on a knock and talk. The FBI will do with like a 10 to 20 man team and they won't even blink an eye at it. Is that pretty much the same experience in all the field offices as far as you know? Absolutely. It, that, that's SOP, which is, again, why I went and uh, down to Quantico uh, six years ago now, I think. Um, I think it's seven because I was there seven and a half. Yeah. And um, I wanted to see how, you know, where, how, how is this even happening? How is this even possible? And I saw firsthand how it's happening and how it's possible. That's how we train them. You want to give any insight into watching? Did you? I'm assuming you got to see some of the tactical training that happened in Hogan's Alley and the way that they they teach people to to enter and, and compare yeah. that maybe with your military experience overseas and how that, you know, how that um, maybe combines with it or how how it uh, just doesn't make any sense based on the mission. What set. struck me as odd about Hogan's Alley is that the way they gained entry, um, it there didn't seem to be an overarching uh concern with safety of the individuals who may be in the house um i know that on my deployments if, if we entered a house the primary concern was the safety of and i, I deploy with marines and um 
and uh, ODA Bubba's, um, but the primary concern was the the, the men and the men there were no women on the trigger, and here we're talking about American citizens, and I saw the same, not identically, but a very similar mindset to what I saw. And uh, I, I was only in Afghanistan. I never I didn't go to Iraq. Um, understand, I understand I never really involved in any kind of that the urban, urban activities there. But it didn't look unfamiliar in terms of tactics, um, how the FBI uh, works, uh, the students at Hogan's Alley. Just didn't didn't seem to care about the, the safety of those inside because they're I guess they're lesser than if they have a search warrant served there. We'll, we'll do kind of a tactics evaluation here. We rolled the second video from the Hodge Twins um, Twitter feed real quick, Ryan. You can do it without yeah. sound, and we'll kind of talk yeah, I through think, it. I think there's a mindset of you brought this on yourself. You did this to yourself. I think that's you license. I think that's exactly right. So, folks, if you're not watching on the Rumble channel, what we're seeing here is a very nice, looks like Jeep uh, Wrangler Unlimited, uh, or maybe it's a Humvee. And it is uh, an individual wearing camouflage shorts that are above the knee. So he's wearing kind of like the bro shorts. He's got a white T-shirt on. He has nothing in a waistband that we can see from the video. He's got his hands extended above his head with a baseball hat on. And he's got them far away. He's got like kind of that classic military watch. We're seeing it through a door. And this is on the sidewalk of like maybe um, a commercial building. Looks like maybe outside of a, like a Home Depot type shopping center or something. There's some pallets in the way. And they're showing just the guy following commands, he's pointing, he's speaking, he's engaging. And we're about to see the FBI package that's going to take this guy into custody. Uh, one, two, three. And here comes the fourth female coming in from the rear. Everybody slung a rifle at low ready. I have no idea why. A fifth guy coming in in an L shape. Um, and also everyone kind of walking with just this lackadaisical attitude. Uh, does that make any sense to you in a, in a tactical environment? Or why in the hell would you bring... Like, I just don't understand the rifles there, George. Is that is there anything you can justify this sort of weirdness? Did we lose him? I've got George um, showing connection problems on my side. <laughs> there he is. And now your audio is down. So. We can all hear him, Kyle. So we can hear can him. Hear you just now? can't, Kyle. No, I can. Go ahead. Okay. Um, but no, this is just, uh, this is just a show of force, you know, and it, there's no evidence of sound tactical procedure here this is just this is all for show um it, there's really no really i can't think of anything more to comment beyond that this is this is like you said it's cosplay um you know i i don't i don't understand i don't you know know what the hell director ray is talking about that this gives the the you know the average american uh you know confidence in, in their law enforcement to, to see this kind of overwhelming use of force here, you know? And uh, thank God that woman in the back, I think it's a woman, yeah. her gun was, her rifle was at a low ready. Right. I, I just don't, I mean, she's not in a firing position as you can articulate, no. like the danger there of having someone, I, I used to always say this and, and um, our uh, producer emeritus, Phil, and I used to always talk about this. And it was one of my first statements to him. I got out on the special operations team, which is the, um, the surveillance group, which we can talk about real quickly about whether that is an elite organization or not. I had one of my bosses get mad because I said it wasn't. But my my general perspective after leaving the FBI Academy was that if I see an FBI agent draw a weapon, that person is the most dangerous person in the room to me, bar none. Would, is that something you could agree with? Is that something that would offend you? So I, I, I carried what was referred to as a cinch blade because as 
under the Clinton administration, I was not allowed to carry a concealed weapon into a federal building, even though I'm licensed in Massachusetts and a host of other states. And I'm a certified firearms instructor. So I carried a cinch blade in the same place that I would carry appendix carry. I carry appendix carry. I have a 32-inch waistline, so I can do that. And I had an agent ask me one time in an elevator, you know, how come you carry a cinch blade? And I said, because I can't carry a firearm. He goes, do you think that's going to defend you against a firearm? I said, I can get this out and into operation before you can get your weapon out. Um, and that ended the conversation. Um, I had to go through eight hours of psychological testing, followed by an interview with a psychologist, a psychiatrist, followed by a full lifestyle polygraph exam uh, all in one day. It was like almost a 14-hour day to join the National Security Agency. I was mortified when I found out that the FBI didn't have to go through anything similar, yet we give guns and badges out to these people. Yeah, a lot of them have no business carrying a weapon. I remember they actually, uh, I, I something had maybe like a two and a half hour poly or something to that effect. And when I sat down in the chair, they asked all these questions. And then uh, I answered them all truthfully, including some funny stuff where they were like, you know, have you ever, you know, committed a crime and gotten away with it? And I'm like, yeah, I, I uh, when I was in college, I used to break into buildings and find vacant buildings and try to creep into them and stuff. And, and the guy's like, so what is that? Like a misdemeanor trespassing? And I was like, I don't know what the charge was. I just knew it was wrong. And I did it. You asked me if I committed crimes and I didn't get caught. And, and he got kind of pissed at me. And he's like, do you ever rob a bank and get away with it? I was like, no. He's like, you ever murder somebody and like nobody found out? I'm like, no. He's like, you ever do a hit and run and somebody died? And it's like, no, I didn't do any of those. He's like, that's what I'm talking about. And I'm like, well, that's not what you asked. I just answered the question as it was written. So I did that. And then at the end of it, you know, we go through the whole thing. And I think they actually had me come back and do an extra hour. And the guy goes, well, you probably just had some like minor academic cheating or something that uh, wasn't a big deal because they're trying to still get you to, to lie and say that you've said something false while you're on the poly machine. And I remember really specifically being very incensed. And this is the kind of people that you expect to work in a national security setting. I yeah. was so incensed when the guy asked me if I had cheated. I, I decided to justify it for him. And this is a little bit of an overshare for my audience, but I think they'll appreciate it. I go, not only have I never cheated on anything academically in my life, and I am incensed the fact that you said it, I actually earned every single bit of a 0.75 GPA for one semester of college because when I went into a test and I didn't even know that the class was having a midterm that day, I still wouldn't look at anybody else's answers because I thought I was smarter than they were. And my my guesses were going to be as good as anybody else's. Uh, it turned out that I actually passed the uh, the midterm. I just skipped the, uh, the final on accident. So I ended up getting a D in the class. It doesn't work out real well. But I, I got a terrible GPA all on my own because I actually believe in my own work. And it's like I... Maybe it's arrogance. Maybe it's hubris. Maybe it's just the fact that I thought it was wrong to go and try to pull somebody else's answers. And I, that would have weighed on me forever. I, I just couldn't have done it. So anyway, they try to catch you with this, but that's the closest I ever got to, you know, a real invasive look into what kind of person I was. And other than that, they went and pulled my medical records and they talked to the psychologist I spoke to in the air force when I, when I uh, separated and that was it. I mean, there was nothing there. So it's not a lot of big looks. And then you get these people that carry a gun that have never carried one before. No, I mean, it's 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 all across America, the, the lowering of standards. I was in the gym yesterday and speaking to a guy who used to be a trainer teaching people how to fly helicopters. And anyone who is a pilot um, knows that you have to learn how to fly fixed wing before you can learn how to fly helicopters. Sure. And he got out of it because they were eliminating blocks of training that he felt it was important. They were doing some of the training online. Um, so this is just across the board in almost every aspect of our society, a lowering of, uh, of standards. It's, it's everywhere. And, um, you just talk about lowering of standards. Let's kind of talk about the, uh, the 
the unequal application of standards if we can. We've seen what's been going on to J6, guys. I think a lot of people are so saturated with what's happened since uh, 2020. I want to jump back to 2017. I've got a couple videos, video five, six, and seven, Ryan. You can play them. They don't need audio, but it might not hurt to hear some of the crowd noises. Let's play uh, video five. This is coming from James O'Keefe's Twitter feed. This goes back, it goes back five years now, um, almost six years maybe. And let's just play a little bit of what was happening with the Disrupt J20 movement. And we'll talk about that in just a second, but let's throw the video up. And maybe if you can play video seven back to back and we'll talk about it in just a second, what these both are, and, and we'll give the context with video six after. All right, that's probably enough to see what we're talking about here. So uh, that was obviously January 6th of uh, 2021, the, uh, the insurrection and the attack of the Capitol. Or not, that was actually Donald Trump's inauguration, which is where a bunch of lefty loonies tried to take over the U.S. Capitol, the entire area. They were on the north side of the parade route, burning vehicles. There's great pictures. You guys can go back and look if you want to type in disrupt the letter J and the number 20 on your social media feeds uh, with a hashtag on there, hashtag disrupt J20. You'll find, in fact, that they burned the Secret Service director's vehicle and his motorcade and some other things going on there. This was a, there was an awful lot of like violent activity. I actually made a felony arrest on that day of a guy who was attacking the U.S. Park Police helicopter, which I tweeted out today. Uh, all of them were let go. Do you remember Disrupt J20 as a uh, as a concept that was being floated in Boston at the time? Oh, absolutely. Um, no, we had um, uh, numer- we had weekly um, uh, CT. Jeez, uh, uh, Louise. Um, JTTF meetings, JTTF meetings. So we would have our partners in with us, um, to include members of the U S attorney's office. And a a lot of that street level intelligence came up from BPD, the Boston police department. Um, so yeah, no, we, we were, uh, very well uh, aware of, of these, uh, this desire to raise hell on, uh, on inauguration day. And, and, and of course they did. They were doing the same thing. Their whole goal was to disrupt the inauguration so that it couldn't happen. That was what they were actually their stated goal. If you'll do video number six, I think we've got some audio. This is undercover audio captured by the, uh, the OG stuff that was going on at Project Veritas during the Trump administration. If you want to play six for me, Ryan. Our journalists also infiltrated several groups operating under the main umbrella of Disrupt J20, like the Industrial Workers of the World, a quasi-socialist group the Metropolitan Anarchist Coordinating Council, and refuse fascism. Our goal is to get 
we need to help shut down the city and like make inauguration a giant clusterfuck that day. So be prepared to help make the inauguration a giant clusterfuck. So we're not going to publicly announce the route, but like we are planning a route that like will help us like jam up the works of the city. Like lots of marching uh, against traffic on one-way streets, stuff like that. So we're talking about a group of people that were hoping they could disrupt the peaceful transfer of power, which is what we've heard was going on. And then they actually showed up and did the thing, as opposed to what we heard about on January 6th of 2021, which was that a bunch of people showed up. Uh, some people acted like morons. What did you say? Stupid people acting stupidly, George? Is that yeah, your- exactly. I, I said that in congressional testimony. They said, what would you call it? You know, and I said, yeah, I'll be call it stupid people doing stupid SHIT. 100%. So the, the differential was, is that uh, the, the amount of prosecutions that were run, do you remember a big task force set up in Boston or any of the other uh, Northeast states running down the people that were trying to disrupt J-20? Oh, you mean the, in 2017? No, absolutely not. No. Why, why no, was we, that? How, co- how come Trump didn't use this weaponized DOJ that he had to go after everybody? Because it, it, at that time, and I think it's a reasonable approach, between BPD and the state police and, and other local law enforcement, we felt that we had enough sources um, already embedded in some of these groups that we could simply disrupt anything before uh, it occurred. There wasn't any effort uh, for any kind of massive roundup or, um, you know, getting FISA set up on, on American citizens uh, on their social media accounts. Um, there wasn't any of that. Um And now, in hindsight, I don't think it was because the FBI and the DOJ were more temperate uh, then. I think that the mindset was more, from a leadership standpoint, those few bad apples that I keep on hearing about, that it's like, eh, these are our peeps. Isn't that something, that they sort of ideologically aligned with them? I certainly saw that in Portland when I went out there, and I don't know how close you got to the the folks that were running the show out there, or if you sent any of your your intel people to go and do the... What were they calling it? The, the TDY uh, rotations there? No, but I do have a, f- a friend of mine who shall remain nameless, who actually still works in the Portland office. And actually the former ASAC for CT. I just lost his audio. Did we lose George? Or can you guys hear him? No, we can hear him. Okay. Lose? There you go. I got you back. Oh, we lost. Kyle lost you. Yeah. We're we're having some connection difficulties. I'm going to have to upgrade your, your, uh, your digital uh, fiber line that runs into your home so I can upstream some of your thoughts more. Um, Well, I mean, you know, CTD is mostly focused on, on, on you. Not CTD. Well, maybe CTD. On me, on on white supremacists, the so-called white supremacists. You know, now (laughs) that they've had to, you know, jump in, you know, with me, um, they just, it's 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 straining their bandwidth which is disrupting our activities that's it they're pulling all of it out of there it's sad when we yeah. think that that like is a it's it's mostly a joke um uh, but like i said I, I went and bought a gun the other day at the store and when i told the lady go ahead and just email it so the fbi knows what i'm buying i don't need to hide it i don't need a paper trail we might as well make it digital for them and she laughed and i was like that's not me being funny that's me being serious there's almost no doubt in my mind that there's a counterintelligence investigation with me i've already spoken to somebody in russia so that's enough um you, you want to can we broadly talk about that? I know that um, that CRA has actually published out what is essentially the uh, the gist, and I don't know how they got it, but the gist of uh, Appendix G within the Diog. 
So it's it's publicly available now for people to see it. And I'll tweet it out later today if you're not following my Twitter feed. But the, the, just how easy it is to open up an Intel investigation to someone, what that predicate bar burden looks like. Um, being able to fog a mirror. I mean, it really is that low. Yeah. I, I mean, being an intelligence supervisor, you know, for example, you know, an intelligence analyst cannot cite a um, any work done by um, not the ADL. Who's the other one? The, SPLC. Uh, SPLC, exactly. So... You know, I'll see an Intel product and I'll take a look at it and I have to put my college professor hat on then and go and start doing, you know, searches for what would if it were a college paper looking for plagiarism. And if I can find something from the SPLC, I'll, I'll, I'll kick it back. And, and, you know, but the truth of the matter is, is that. Just because they're not allowed to use public, you know, information coming from the SPLC or other left-wing organizations you almost can't stop them stop their their mind from embracing that and and i could stop them from using that as an actual source um the fact is that they they meaning the analyst and and to, and to some extent the agents although my optic is not as, as good on them as, as it is on the analysts um they embrace that ideology and if they can't use it overtly they'll use it uh covertly yeah, most certainly. So I think what you're you're getting at is that the these people may go read something from SPLC. They will internalize what that that dialogue is. Internalize. And then, that's and, the word. and then they'll go parallel source it through someone else using slightly different words, and it'll be a slightly more um, acceptable source of information, whether it be a college paper or something else, or some professor wrote something or a speech. And then they can go and they can basically launder that position from SPLC or even the uh, the Anti Defamation League or whatever it may be, some leftist source. And they'll launder it into an Intel product by finding somebody else that said it in a slightly less, um, you know, uh, extreme way or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when I did, when I did my briefings at NSA, uh, it was in a five eye uh, uh, forum there with the director of NSA, and occasionally he would, uh, you know, ask a question that was not suitable for the five eye community, and I would just go out and um, you know find another source um, somewhere uh, that I could, you know that I could brief, you know, it's not, not that hard. You can do it in almost any aspect of your life, whether it's academia, academia or uh, in federal law enforcement. Yeah. We used to always call that talking around the classified material. If you can go find it open source, you're referencing something that has been published and, you know, makes a supposition or makes some analysis, or maybe it was leaked, who knows. Uh, but the fact is, is you can source it to something other than your classified knowledge and you go, here's some information. Hence my, my point on CRA, uh, the Center for Renewing America has basically said that you can open an intelligence investigation to someone who is either the target of a foreign intel service or who is actively working for them. But the target part is the part where it's like, that doesn't mean that they agreed to it. That's the thing that's so scary for most people. You talk about fogging a mirror. If somebody has the possibility of being interesting and you and I are clearly interesting to a foreign intel service, then that's an easy open. It's 100% like, well, they might be, they might be. Literally, it doesn't have to have the burden that they are or that anyone's ever even discussed it. The fact that I got it's, an email on Twitter from somebody or a DM on Twitter from somebody in Iran, you know, who works for their, their state-funded media, that's enough. That would be plenty to, to predicate. It's an easier argument to make than a direct message to, from someone to Kyle Seraf and saying, you should talk to me. Um, it, it really is that simple, the ability to fog a mirror. Um, it, it's sad, but I mean, and, and you and Steve Friend and, and others have talked about this at length um, since I've known you 
that the the whole intelligence apparatus there are no barriers to to collection it's it's a giant roomba running around 24/7 hoovering up all manner of information and then it's incentivized as to how many of those you can actually turn into uh, to, into a full field investigation. What's so but it's a giant Roomba that just roams the country, hoovering up everything it can. And then some intelligence analyst, you know, with pink hair, uh, with a degree in, in international studies from George Washington University, um, is going to turn it into an Intel product, and uh, and we're off to the races. I know it she really her. is that simple. No, I'm I know, not, and I and I'm I worked with she her. I'm sorry. I said I worked with she her. I know who that is. Yeah. yeah, those those intel analysts you're speaking of. The crazy thing is, is that's the way that the Chinese intelligence apparatus was described to me when I started working Chinese CI. Exactly that way. A giant vacuum cleaner that sucks up all the possible information and then it goes and sorts it out when they have time and bandwidth. And we're doing the same. Yeah. I, since you mentioned it, just real brief, maybe not part of this podcast, but it's important for your audience to know. The Chinese do suck up everything, but they have better supercomputing capabilities and since they have all the SF-86s, all the hotel data, all the medical records of everybody who has a clearance, their computers actually just deliver the sort through that and deliver targeting packages to a case agent every day. Um, so the Chinese are doing the same thing, but in a far more sophisticated and targeted fashion. I'm going to restate what you just said. The OPM hack that happened after I was hired, so my information is part of that, and I know yours is as well. The SF-86 is every place you've ever lived, all the known acquaintances in those areas, the full security package that we put together in order to get a clearance, whether secret or top secret. And you fill these things out with all of your you know, access to medical records and so on. They put together this big package. This is the vetting that we were talking about earlier. This is the paper vetting, at least. The Chinese managed to hack the Office of Personnel Management in what, 2016 or 17? We just lost George. <laughs> they, uh, they grabbed all this. There's a Chinese for you. They, uh, they grabbed all this stuff and uh, they managed to get it all uh, sorted out, and we were all basically given a, a three-year subscription to LifeLock as sort of the uh, sorry that we screwed up your your world, and sorry that we we gave access to all this Chinese information. They just they took it all. They were able to, like you said, break it down in a supercomputer, and they can do targeting packages that are very specific. Whereas the U.S. is still sort of like trying to grab all this information. They don't have that on every American citizen. Although I imagine they probably have access to all the DoD records if they wanted, which is a lot of us. Yeah, I, I'm concerned about that. I mean, the, the FBI is developing the capability. Um, CISA certainly has the capability. And then they're partnering with Silicon Valley, who absolutely has uh, the capability. So when we talk about, you know, the, the 2024 election and some of the concerns we have, um, you know, if, if, if big DOJ and FBI and DHS and um, HSI uh, need to do selective targeting. Uh, the capability is still there. It may not be as sophisticated and as well used as the Chinese, um, but rest assured um, that if, if somebody in a, in a conference room deems you as a legitimate threat that needs to be removed, even if it's just temporarily, let's just lock you in the D.C. federal detention facility for a couple of years without any pretrial hearing, and let's just get this election over with.
Yeah, and that's something. I want to, uh, we talked about some of the, the sophisticated methods of gathering intelligence. Let's talk about something really base level. Ryan, if you'll pull up, um, let me see what, what topic that was. Topic number three for me, uh, specifically just the screenshot from Liberty Safes. I know as a gun owner, this is a concern for you. So I'm just going to read this right off. This is the statement made by Liberty Safe, who is the, the, uh, the manufacturer of the safe that this guy Nathan Hughes had at his house. We just saw his arrest. And this is what they said. On August 30th, 2023, Liberty Safe was contacted by the FBI requesting the access code to the safe of an individual for whom they had a warrant to search their property. Our company policy, this scares the hell out of me, by the way, our company policy and protocol is to provide access to law enforcement if a warrant grants them access to a property. After receiving the request, we received proof of the valid warrant, and then only then did we provide them with an access code. Liberty Safe had no knowledge of any of the details surrounding the investigation at the time. And then it goes on with this BS statement about how they're interested in protecting personal property and Second Amendment rights uh, and has repeatedly denied a request for access codes without a warrant. And they don't give out their compensations without proper legal documentation provided by authorities. This, to me, George, is a lot like what you were dealing with. Uh, warrant or no, I've never heard of seeking out a an access code. And I've never heard of a private company saying, yeah, you can have this. Um, the fact that they retain it scares the living hell out of me. I have no idea why that would be the case. Have you ever thought that uh, that companies would give up like codes to your personal safe? Did we lose him? There he is. You know, that's why, you know, when I raised the Bank of America issue, I think it was so important is that there are no boundaries. You know, going back to your original Ivy uh, intrusion analysis and, and, and uh, you know, there are no boundaries to anything. So, yeah, I'll just ask them for the codes and, and they'll give them to me. Um, so, yeah, it's not Bank of America. It's not on a grand scale. It's not January 6th, but it's the same mindset of, of people thinking that they're doing their patriotic duty and, quote, defending democracy. Well, if you're ignorant and you don't know the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, and you don't understand that we actually live in a constitutional republic, then they probably actually believe that they are doing their patriotic duty. It, it pains me to say that out loud. The the irony that, the, that they're called liberty safes and decided to cooperate with the government on anything. Um, I've been on search warrants where they were safes and the option was always the same. It's like, you can give us the code or we're going to crack the safe. Either way, we're getting into this. And there are easy ways to get into it, which I'm about to show some people because I think it's relevant for, for gun owners to know and for people that want to protect their valuable property. Your residential safety container is only as safe as uh, as basically your access to the property. You want to go ahead? One more point. Going back to what you we were, when you showed that video from the Hodge twins um, on that takedown, but and, and my analysis regarding uh, Hogan's Alley and the FBI Academy, the reason they want to get access to the safe is for the safety of the agent. And I said that that was paramount, and I saw that in evidence in the training. That's why they want to do this. This is this is not about executing a safe arrest warrant with you know with no loss of life and minimal damage. This is about protecting the safety of the agent. You think it's because they want to make sure that there are no guns that are even even secured guns on the property. That's what it's about. I know that's what it's about because I, I couldn't figure we out in my, art, I couldn't figure it out. Like what in the hell they need to get in there for, for a misdemeanor charge where he threw his elbow in the direction of a shield of a police officer is what they alleged. Right. Like, yeah, no, I, we did this for our takedowns. You know, does that person have a gun license? Has there been any 
firearms charges related to this person. Is there anybody in his family that has a gun license? This is all part of FBI agent safety. Now, we can have that discussion of what the level of safety should be. I come down because I have put my life at risk multiple times, obviously not in a law enforcement role, but it comes down to a mitigated risk. And what they're saying is, is that we're going to eliminate person's constitutional protections in favor of 100% agent safety. Which is horrific. I think I want to do an entire show on that with you and Stephen Garrett, and uh, maybe we'll get some other cops from the local level about the risk they're willing to assume and the presence of firearms. I think the, the I think the federal government in general trains agents to be looking at firearms as like, in the same way they do uh, serial numbers. My, my buddy, Steve um, Stambalia, who's who we call the machine gun lawyer, and he's going to come back on. He's made arguments in court that the reason that the government thinks that there should be a serial number is for tracking in the case of a gun crime. But that presupposes that every gun will be used in a crime. And he's made a successful argument right now in front of the uh, the Dallas District Court, the, uh, the I think the eastern or the northern district of Texas, and stating that that this is a, a false assumption that a very, very small fraction of 1% of guns, like it's like a 10th of a percent of guns are actually used in crimes and to make every single one of them presupposed against the odds that they will be used in a crime is sort of indicative of the government's position, which is that guns are dangerous, okay, and they're bad, okay, and they rather side with a David Hogg than what the actual constitution says, which is why these, these boundaries that we have, these green barriers in the garden, are so important. You have to have them. But I think it starts with speech. I'd, I'd rather it not get to a Second Amendment situation, but the government needs to respect it as well, and it doesn't. Now, and, and one more thing. Mm-hmm. You talked about the serial numbers. Ghost guns. The number of ghost guns Can you put that in air in quotes for me? I can't take it. It's immeasurable. Yeah, it's, 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 it's immeasurable. It's not a serious thing. For anyone who's manufactured a gun, I could walk over to my safe right now and pull one out that I've made myself. And you know, and I would never carry it. I would never carry the so-called ghost gun over a, a ma- commercially manufactured firearm because the tolerances are not right. And so right. It's, it's fun to shoot. It's a cool project. It's a neat hobby gun. There's nothing wrong with having it. There's American tradition behind it. But the idea that you would carry like a milled uh, lower receiver on a handgun that you, that you milled is uh, that's a crazy person that wants to do that. If that's what your only method of protection is, because I guarantee you my Glock and my SIG are going to be a lot more reliable and they've been proven. Yeah. Uh, I've proven yeah. that thing is not, you know, it, it doesn't always fire right. Not the way I want it Look, to. Look, one of my analysts wrote a paper, Intelligence Bulletin, on ghost guns. You know, I, as much as I didn't want to, you know, let it go forward, um, you know, but I got the, at least got the language changed to the point or tightened it up that in terms of crimes and, 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 and even suicides, the number of occurrences is almost immeasurable. It's like a half a dozen places to the right of the decimal point. Right. It's. I mean, it's just, it's a boogeyman in the same way the AR-15 is, is a boogeyman when you talk about the number of deaths in this country. All right. Um, we talked about the residential safety containers. Most safes that you guys are having, these Liberty, uh, Liberty safes and others, these quote unquote gun safes, the word safe is actually not, it actually is a legal term. These things are legally referred to as residential safety containers. I'm going to show you a couple of videos right now. I want you to understand why it is an illusion, why it is so easy for law enforcement to enter and why you don't need to go and have the, uh, the company like Liberty break their trust with you. We've got, uh, let's do video number one. Uh, I, I'm saying Liberty Safe is the new Bud Light because they've named themselves something that is supposed to be for Americans and patriots who want to protect their liberties, and yet they're going to roll over for the FBI. This is how easy it is to get into one of these safes if somebody is so serious and has control of the situation the way a law enforcement entity does. Video one, if you'll roll it, Ryan. I can't remember if we're running this with or without audio, but... 
We've come to Liberty Safe to give you some information on what with to audio. look for Sounds when you're good. buying an entry-level safe. We're here with Jamie Skousen from Liberty Safe. Jamie, tell me about it. All right, let's well, let's skip forward a little bit until they start doing the pry bar attacks if you can. Saves. Okay. They're between five and six hundred dollars. Okay. What we Copy. wanted to do today second. is yep. to put them to the test on a pry test to see how strong they are. You know, pry test, you know, that makes sense because Okay, so this is the pry test. They give these guys you five minutes to pry wow. it open. It's two men with pry bars. We probably don't oh. even need the audio. But they managed to right, crack the first set of bolts. Twelve seconds. At twelve they seconds. Got part of it open already. So you're seeing this pop open. Basically, these guys have two-man pry bar. One guy opens up the space. The other guy gets into the, the door. These are actually easier if they're bolted to the ground. It's harder the way they're doing it because they don't have a stable base to brace against. But you can pop these things open with pry bars in under 30 seconds. You'll see these guys do it in about 39 seconds. This is a stack-on from the look of it. I had one just like it. Um, they're very heavy. They're, they're hundreds of pounds. Most of that weight is actually going to be in commercial drywall, which is a fire retardant. That's why they have them in there. It's very, very thin steel in the, in the realm of like 18, maybe 14 gauge at the highest. They pop that open in 39 seconds if you're watching the video. So you can see two guys with, with crowbars on a non-secured surface. Um, we'll we'll kind of watch forward. Once again, these things are all in the four to six hundred dollar range. You can buy these at any kind of a sporting goods store. The Liberty Hill one or the uh, the Liberty Safe is is a little bit longer on their attack because it's got better bars. But that assumes a frontal attack that you're going to go in and try and pry the doors open. So you'll show this one. They'll pop this thing open in like ten or twelve seconds, I think. It's just a matter of getting your attack done. So this is your smash and grab job. This is keeping honest people honest when we talk about the way a safe would work. And if you guys have never seen this done before and you have some illusion that this heavy safe that you've been moving around or one of your buddies has a safe, there you go, 21 seconds, popped right open. That one looks just like, they all look the same. They're all like stack on style. Um, let's do video number two because video number two, and I think we have to start a little bit late in the video. It's at uh, 9.35, Ryan, if you'll do it. This is a, a video that is shown of a, of a Liberty safe actually cracking open. We can uh, run a couple of minutes on the pry bar here, but it's it's just the same thing. It's just dudes, you know, doing a pry bar attack on slightly better bars. Let's let's switch over to video number two, if you would. And they say they and they said they didn't get into the Liberty Safe. They had two minutes here on this one, and they couldn't get into it. Correct. And I got the next video ready. Yeah, let's do the next video. So, folks, you can see Liberty Safe is supposed to be slightly better on a pry attack, which means they're going through the door. But here's how you actually get into one of these things. Do video number two for me. I don't think we need sound either. Give me one second. I just got to kill the sound. We'll be yeah, playing it. No problem. Okay, so this one is not a Liberty. This is actually going to be a Winchester safe. They're pretty much the same, the same idea. And this is a company that I've actually bought safes from. I have no money invested in them. They don't pay us anything. But this is a guy uh, who works for a company called Securit. And his point is, is you can spend these hundreds of dollars on these fancy, extremely heavy um, you know, I've actually moved one down to my basement one time in Virginia, George, and I, I, one of my buddies almost lost his thumb, you know, pounding against the wall. He was a Marine, so I think he would have been okay. But he, uh, we had this thing kind of get away from us going down the stairs. And you're noticing this guy's basically just got a basic uh, corded circular saw and a carbide bit. And he's about to just throw this thing off. And you're seeing it in real time. Like in the time that I've started speaking to you, he's able to cut the top off these things because this, the steel is such thin gauge. There's almost nothing there. And it's really, really quite easy of it. Other than he's getting a face load of, uh, of dust coming out of the drywall. But you're going to see him pop this thing open like a soda pop can. And here it is. Just, just man strength alone is able to be able to pull that thing open. That should kind of unsettle you, and it should tell you that the idea that, that the, the safe company needs to comply with, with the FBI or have, have the codes ready in case of this is really, really disturbing. The fact that they keep track of this sort of thing, 
Um, you're just seeing this guy basically turn it around. Video number three has a similar thing. I think they actually attack a Liberty branded safe, although they they block it out. You can show video three, two. You don't need any sound on that either, Ryan. And it does take a little bit longer to do an attack. But what he's doing here, this is a uh, uh, an angle grinder. He's just got a little cutting wheel and he's going to do a, a sidewall attack on this uh, on this safe. This is a Liberty branded safe. It's got the really nice looking lock. Again, very heavy and, and has a fireproof rating, which is sort of useless and nonsensical. You can see the brand for secure it up in the corner there, but he's just doing this. You could do this with a hand tool. I've got DeWalt tools that will do this. This one takes probably 15 to 20 minutes to do. So once again, you're keeping honest people honest. Um, but this is, this is how you get into a safe if you need to. And if it takes 20 minutes to cut open, there's no real danger of somebody accessing it without the code. If nobody's nearby, it's not like that gun's going to jump out and shoot anybody. George, you guys ever uh, cut is a it, safe? Kyle, is it safe to do that with like ammo in there? Would that those sparks ever set off a bullet? No, no, not at all. Because you'll see in a second, he's going to pull it open. And what you'll see is there's an entire layer of drywall. This guy's about to pull open a Liberty safe, which are thousands of dollars. Boom. He just pulls it open right there. And what you see is literally regular commercial drywall with the, uh, you know, with the backer board there. And that interior board there is all just carpet and upholstery that makes it look pretty. Uh, it also is a carcinogen. It's also really bad for your guns, but that's neither here nor there. Um, it can, it can corrode older and uh, antique firearms, but he literally just pried it open like that. And, um, you know, so the idea that they would comply in the same way and just hand over codes, it's scary to me that they actually keep a list of codes more than anything else. Have you ever seen videos like that, George? No, I haven't, but the profit margin on those must be awesome because I don't see a lot of material or engineering going into that. No, it's all in the doors. So I actually moved my safe when I was in Virginia down these basement stairs. I'll never do it again. And I, what I realized is I had a big stack on. It was uh, like a 30-gun safe or something like that. The door itself probably weighed 200 pounds. It was a two-man lift on its own. The rest of the residential container I could pick up with my, with my two hands, and it was 80 or 90 pounds tops. It was, it was gawky and weird. But the uh, almost all the weight in those safes you'll find are in the doors, which is why if you ever open one of those safes up and they're not bolted to the ground, they will fall over on you. And so you'll see if you go into a store and, and I'm just giving this as information for folks to have it. Uh, I think you guys should be like aware of what it is you're spending your money on. And this is one of those products where one law enforcement apparently can get codes from Liberty. So that's scary. And I think that if you're you're in the market for a safe, that is not a good company to deal with. But moreover, if they need to get into it, they're going to get into it. Like just in the same way I had a search warrant uh, that was served on my Airstream when I was in the Air Force. And they basically gave me the same option. You can give us the keys or we can cut off the door. And when you have a vintage 1971, 31-foot land yacht and you don't want them cutting off the door, you give them the keys because they show you the warrant. And they go, we have access to the property. We'll get in one way or another. So you just go, yeah, please don't break my, my Airstream. <laughs> I'd rather you just go in and search for whatever you need. That's how you do it. Yeah. If you can afford it and you have the space, you're better off with a dedicated room in the basement with concrete walls and just buying a safe door for it. There is a, a group that's called uh, Secure It, like I said, that I, I have their their lighter version because it's just it's keeping honest people honest, keeps my kids out of it. But they offer what's called a true safe. And it actually has a layer, a layer of steel on the inside Then it's surrounded by a layer of concrete, which you can cut, but you need a different bit. And then it has steel on the outside as well. They're heavy as hell. You have to have professional installation. But once you put it in, it's multiple levels and multiple bits. And the amount of time it would take to attack is very similar to what you said. A secured room that is steel and, and concrete reinforced. And, you know, that's that's how you do it if you're serious or you buy a Liberty and let the FBI get your code. Take your pick, I guess. Yeah. I mean, look, either Liberty gives the FBI code, the code or else they're going to show up with an, an AT4 or an RPG or, or, or some heavy explosives. I mean, choose your poison.
Choose your poison. Compliance with the government, folks. The idea is that we stay away from this thing. I want to uh, do one video, and then we're going to talk about the Marxist lesbian, and then we'll shut this thing down. We can go a little long today, but uh, I, I always like talking to George. And I could talk to George for like 30 minutes up front, and it, it would just uh, just go away into the ether as far as time goes. Let's watch this video. It's video number eight. Uh, somebody sent me this, an ATF agent who's a friend of mine, retired. He's actually one of the good guys. Sent this to me. It's one of the funniest videos I've seen. We're going to talk a little bit about PSYOPs, because I know you worked in the information space, and uh, you've worked. This is kind of... Um, this is a lighthearted take on it, folks. There's a little bit of colorful language in there. So if you want to shield this from work or if you need to shield it from kids, be aware. But video at number eight, uh, it's about two minutes. And it, it's some of the funniest two minutes of memes that Ryan and I have seen in a while. So a little bit of lighthearted stuff about PSYOPs. It's the absolute best. Get ready. Hello, I'm from the U.S. government. Does something feel wrong in the world, but you can't put your finger on it? Are you yearning to fight injustice and be part of something bigger? Do you do your own research? If so, you've been chosen to participate in our new PSYOP. QAnon. PSYOPs are usually carried out by our intelligence agencies in countries we've invaded or whose governments we've overthrown in order to convince the local population that we're there to help them. QAnon is just like that, except the target isn't a foreign population. Population. It's you. And the government we're planning to overthrow is follow the white rabbit. At the heart of this PSYOP is Q, a government insider who will give you advance warning about major events like the arrest of Hillary and deep state leaders, which never happened. And the end of the Democratic Party in 2018, who actually went on to win the House that year. And if years of fake predictions start to get you down, don't worry. Trust, trust the plan. plan. The best part of this PSYOP is you'll believe you're in a PSYOP, except that's not the PSYOP you're actually in, but the PSYOP where we let you think you're in a PSYOP. PSYOPception. Q-proof. Joining QAnon is easy because at its core, there are some truths. Like the media really does lie to you. There really are powerful predators out there. And there really is a global pedophile ring that ritually abuses kids. But as you follow Q's droppings, you'll gradually LARP yourself deep into the rabbit's rectum, where you'll find others who yearn to fight injustice, just like you. The 5G crew, the pandemic crowd, the FEMA camps, and chemtrail folks too. All LARP together into a single LARP we can control. Where we LARP one, we LARP all. In exchange for all this entertainment and newfound sense of purpose, all we ask for in return is your help. No, you fucking idiots, not to arrest Hillary. You is convinced patriots. Even the guy who spent decades warning you about the police and martial law that martial law is now a good thing. What's that? When do we take down the deep state? Aw, honey. The guy who exposed the real deep state is being tortured by it right now. And where are you? Oh, that's right. Q told you to trust the plan and have a big circle jerk on Aiken. The Great Awakening. And that's the purpose of QAnon, to convince those who would normally be on the front line of fighting our shitfuckery to sit by and watch as we prosecute your truth tellers, purge your justice system, and rat fuck this election. QAnon. Nothing can stop what's coming. Because you'll be sitting on your ass when it does. <laughs> I just, I, there's some stuff in there that I don't agree with 100%, obviously. But just the idea of taking, uh, taking people out of the out of the game, taking them off the board by getting them into these like weird rabbit holes. I think plus the way that it's delivered so, is so good. That's what the CIA does, and and I've been used by the CIA more than once. But they will spin an op. At this, think of a, like an old school 33. RPM record. There will be an op at the center, but the difference with this record is, is that it spins in different directions, and they will spin an op within an op within an op, and to the point where they actually will send out emails to their entire workforce as as part of that outer ring of that first part of an operation. Because so, it gives it gives your validation checks when people like kind of cursorily you know touch it or something. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's so you know, there's um there's a long history of intelligence services doing this um, to nations. I mean, we saw the Green Revolution um, in the Czech Republic, um, or without the Orange Revolution, I can't remember. It was the Green Revolution in Iran that failed. Um, but no, we're, we're, we're getting played, and, and some of it is our, of our own doing. Um, you know, like when you hear people say, ooh, I better watch what I say because the FBI might hear me. You know, some of it's our, of our own doing. we got stupid people behaving stupidly. Um, but some of it is legit. There is an operation, a PSYOP operation going on to divert people's attention from other more important matters. I'm going to redirect people to, to watch yesterday's episode if they haven't seen it yet. The The idea of idolatry goes deep into this in a lot of ways for me. It's the idea that some person is coming to save you and that person is not a salvific God. It's a Q. It's a Donald Trump. It's a white hats. It's a take your pick. Those are all kind of fantasy ideas in my experience. And, and if you think that you found the solution, by the way, if you don't have access to everything that the United States government is doing, which is basically nobody. I don't think anybody has all that access. You're not going to uncover the secret plan on your own and then be able to brag about it on the internet. That, that's not a real thing. So whenever you go out there and, and, and actually Bad Religion, which was a, um, a punk rock band that I love, I absolutely love them. They seem like the most irreverent guys and they almost always have really pointed social commentary. He said, there's, there's a song they have called The Answer. And they said, if somebody comes to you and says, I have the answer, like that person uh, is yet another fraud. And he goes through a whole list of people that have quote unquote the answer, you know? Yeah. No, this is why when I teach college, you know, I stress critical and iterative thinking that w without that skill set, you're going to get played. You're going to get worked real easy. It's so true. We, you, uh, we had kind of a thought experiment. This is not saying that this is what's happening. This is saying what is possible about Patriot Front. You and I kind of were, uh, were riffing on this the other day, and I'd love to share it with people because I know people have questions about how these things could be done and what's the plausibility of it. Maybe you could share that based on your, some of your experience on there, what this would look like, who would be running it if, if possible or, or how it would be run because I really found that fascinating. So having come from, from, from the intelligence community um, before the FBI, which – is a LARPer. They consider themselves part of the intelligence community. Yes. But this is the Patriot Fund thing. If I were going to do it, this is how I would do it, which is I would bring a former, ideally SF, you know, Ranger, SEAL, uh, somebody who thinks very highly of themselves into um, HSI headquarters and up to the nicest conference room we had uh, outside the executive suite. And I'd tell them they're being considered for a senior executive position. And their response, their jo job is, is to recruit people uh, to have them dress up. You know, I'd lay out some some basic uh, op plan, have them dress up, have them, you know, coordinate for them to show up at a certain area in time, march around and then disappear. But that person then would in turn tell each one of those people he would recruit from a pool of people who have already applied for various positions within either federal law enforcement or the intelligence community and say, hey, you're being considered for a position. We're running an operation here in the United States. I can't tell you anything about it, uh, but we're going to create what's called a bigot list. And, and, and if you're not on that list, you know, it makes them feel very uh, exclusive um, and very important. You know, and at the end of the day, you can either terminate the operation by telling all these people that they didn't make the cut or you can hire some of them into the organization um, to include the person you bring in to run it um, and, you know, tell them, you know, 
This was a compartmentalized program. Anyone on, that's not on this bigot list, you're not authorized to discuss it with them. And oh, by the way, 90% of the people that were involved um, have, have uh, been declined employment. It's a real easy thing to run, I know, because we've ran them, uh, but not outside, not inside the United States. But the capability to do that sort of operation, it, you're, you're playing on a couple of basic human emotions, the exclusivity of it, people's want or need to be something, you know, kind of elite, people who don't have the capability of being within the structure, but they, they would love to. And so you exploit that. There's a lot of just basic human exploitation that goes on. And, and then you run it and you tell them how exclusive and elite it is. And, you know, you can never talk to anybody about it. These are they, they become unfalsifiable, too, for the people that believe in it, too, because it's like they believe that it's legit. And you could never tell them otherwise because they heard it from a source that they trust and they were, they were quote unquote recruited. Um, these things have been going on for a very long time, obviously, in other places. Yeah, no. And I used HSI in my example because they're unconstrained. They don't report to the DOJ and they don't have a diog, um, which is. Uh, Do we just lose George? There you go, folks. This is how it happens. George has got a bad connection there, I think. I think that's the case. It's the um, deep state. Uh, that's the other possibility, right? We always like to go in there. I want to cut that piece out, Ryan, and I want to share it with people as just a, a standalone video too. Uh, and George may join us in here at the end. But the last thing I did want to pivot towards and talk about, if we can, is topic number eight, and we'll get George into way on that. George, I, I do appreciate that analysis. I think it's, I think it's really, really relevant. And this could be a psyop. We're going to talk about the last little piece here and kind of wrap this sucker up. But this is probably just the way that the the state of affairs in America right now, our, our topic number eight was coming from Catholic vote. It's coming from the loop this morning. And it's a discussion about how the American Library Association president is a self-proclaimed Marxist lesbian. Do you want to pop that sucker up there, Ryan? We can just look at the uh, look at the main piece. So there you go, folks. Um, you can go and see it in Catholic votes news feed today. If you're not getting the loop, this is what you're missing out on. And uh, there, she was out there basically saying, in no uncertain terms, by the way, that she thought that uh, they should be using these as recruiting grounds for socialists, that uh, she has a sub stack that she runs, which is called Actively Unwoke, and that she's trying to create the largest socialist confidence in the country. She wanted to be in a speaker initially, but then they just went out there and she's been kind of quietly canceling these things off so that she can kind of get away with it. But they're out there pushing an agenda in the libraries of all places, which used to be a place where you would go and get things like, I don't know, literature and understand about America, where you could go learn about that myth of identic possibilities and the romantic writers of the early American, um, the Amer early American uh, uh, country and, and figure out what this, you know, what this century was all about, what it meant to them. In, uh, in the meantime, now they're taking this and they're weaponizing it because it's a place that was available. And, you know, it used to be that old ladies who uh, probably were probably had a Betsy Ross flag that they had sewed themselves used to be the librarians. And now we have these like young culturally Marxist lesbians that are out there trying to convert your kids into to, to hate this country, which is shocking. And like I said, PSYOP or otherwise, it's still scary stuff. So think? we've seen the video of people being videos, plural of people being uh, um, ex escorted by armed uniformed police officers out of school board meetings for reading excerpts from books and that were outright pornographic that are being used in schools. And, that's the only way to fight this is for parents to, you know, go to the children's section of the library to to be aware of changes that are being made. Um, the, the problem with being with being conservative and wanting to conserve uh, American values is that we have jobs and and responsibilities. And unfortunately, the left, all they want to do is 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 tear everything down. So without eternal vigilance from people 
with some sort of religious background that believe in a higher power, uh, that believe in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, um, without us actively looking at what these people are doing to include this head of the Library Association and school boards, um, they're going to keep on getting away with it. And it just takes eternal vigilance, and they're not going to stop. Therefore, neither can we. No, and the sad thing is, and, and I had a discussion with people about this the other day, It's part of it is the fact that we have jobs and we have things that we got to do with our day and we have children and we're actually in, you know, being productive members of society. And the other half is that by being a conservative, your goal is always defensive. It is conserving the things that exist that are good. And so that is a defensive posture as opposed to the aggressive posture that the political left has had. We call them progressive for a reason. Their movement is always forward. It doesn't even have to agree with itself. They have these irrational positions on on many different bases, right? We can think about it. They think the government is bad and infringing on black people, but they also think that nobody should own a gun, which would be your primary method of resisting a government. And they also think that the, you know, that the climate should be uh, respected and the government needs to be the one that does that. So they have all these illogical beliefs that sort of batter against each other, but they fight on all fronts in an always aggressive, forward-moving, progressive uh, tr- attempting to gain ground and conservatives are just fighting on all sides, trying to maintain the thing that's in the middle. And when you're, when you're defensive, you're always going to be on the back foot. You have to be. Yeah. And, and it's, and we can never let up because they're not going to let up. And when you ask these progressive, what are they progressing forward to? They can't answer that question. Of course not. It's just, we're progressing. So the process with a progressive is the goal kind of like how they use the legal system. The process is the punishment. You know, we actually have a goal, which is to preserve the the founding principles of the country, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, and to preserve American sovereignty. We actually have a goal. Their goal is just chaos. They're, they're, they really should call themselves what they are. They're anarchists. All they want to do is tear down. And once they've torn it down, then they can progress towards a little bit of order that they can tear down again. It's just, you know, a cycle of insanity, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, the ideas don't have to agree with each other. I think that neatly sews it up with our original basis on the on the un, unkempt and overgrown garden, which is to say that conservatives are attempting to maintain those boundaries. Uh, be a person on the wall. You have to be a person on the wall. That means you're speaking freely. You're speaking your mind. You're defending your positions intelligently, and you're doing so without violence. And uh, you're not buying a Liberty safe so that the FBI can easily get into your gun safe. <laughs> that's one of the pieces. But we just we all have to maintain those boundaries. Otherwise, we do get a garden that's overgrown. And if you've ever seen the difference between a well-kept garden and a garden that has gone to to pot and and to uh, to seed, it's not very cool to walk through when there's stickers and brambles and weeds. It's a lot nicer to go through the manicured garden. Uh, even leftists love a manicured garden. They just don't know what they're fighting against when they're out there trying to fight these these barriers and boundaries. So um, we can we can only advocate that position, and everybody's got to take the spot on the wall. Yeah, I mean, and when you weed that garden, there are lawn and leaf bags that have to get taken to the curb and thrown into the landfill. That is a dark way to uh, to add to my metaphor, but you're I think you're exactly <laughs> correct, George. Thank you for uh, for joining me this morning. Thanks for stepping on there. I'm sorry about our internet connection issues, whether it's deep state or just uh, a failure to have solid infrastructure. Uh, maybe some of that build back better money is going to get your internet faster. What do you think? It wasn't a Coast Guard helicopter, so this is yeah pretty we're low on that front. It's pretty low on the uh, the interruption scale for us. Uh, thanks for for jumping in last minute with me to talk about this. I think that 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 piece about Patriot Front or or a, a uh, 
a seated operation like that. It will be very interesting to folks and that's a value to be out there and have your experience. Uh, people can follow you at Senior Chief EXW and your truth handle. What's your truth handle? I think it's Jarhead George. I think it is too, because I think I, yeah. I tagged you this morning. Yeah, I try, I try to, you know, mix it up. I mean, having lived, you know, two lives, um, just real briefly, I had to get out of the Marine Corps because of a personal situation and tried to go back in after the world was at peace and the only people that would give me a chance was the Navy. And uh, so I took it and I had great times at both organizations, although the darkness primarily comes from my Marine Corps service. <laughs> That's why we get along too, though. Uh, folks, just a, a little bit of inside ball. When George and I were talking the other day, I said something like, my mother thinks I'm the angriest person she's ever met. And uh, George said, give it 15 years and get back to me. He's like, you got a long ways to go. <laughs> so I very much appreciate someone that thinks that they're angrier than I am. At least it puts me in perspective for the world. Uh, it also gives me a goal. Everybody should have a goal in life, right? Amen. All right, buddy. Thanks so much for joining me. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been living, uh, listening to The Kyle Serafin Show. We stream live from Liberty Hill, Texas, every weekday at 0930. And that is 830 here in Texas, America. You can always find our lively discussion in the online chat, which was insane. I had it on slow chat mode for a while. And every time I looked over, there were 100 messages that I hadn't seen, 99 that I had to scroll through. So I missed everything that was going on in the live chat, all you wild animals. But thank you so much for being there. You can find the live chat at... Uh, rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. You'll find our latest video. The live links are always up um, before the show. And like I said, 0830 here in Texas, America to do that. Uh, thanks to all you who are live chatters. Thanks to Real Is Rare as being a new uh, monthly subscriber. You can subscribe. I think it's like five bucks. Uh, I, as far as I can tell, we get all five bucks of that subscription. So that's really awesome. If you guys want to uh, support the channel, you don't have to. You can go here for free. We're here for you. But we do appreciate if you do. And uh, you can also leave us a five-star review. Nearly 700 five-star reviews left on uh, Apple. And here is one today, which is from Safe Again. It says, incredible information. I'm amazed that every time I listen, I learn information not available elsewhere. Also enjoyed your excellent interview with Jason. I think this was actually Jacob Chansley. And uh, I had no idea about the details other than what Tucker revealed in the videos he released. So I'm pretty confident that was the uh, Chansley interview, which I thought was also pretty interesting. I found out some new things. Folks, this show will continue to grow because of you and your support on places like Apple and Spotify, iHeartRadio, and we even stream live to Facebook. A couple of others were actually on Twitter as well, doing it live so you can catch us anywhere. Again, that live chat is at home on Rumble. And please uh, share it if you do like the videos, if you like the content, we appreciate that. And it does help grow our, our subscriber base, which is always great for us. It gives us a bigger platform and a bigger microphone to share voices like George. You can follow Ryan Matta, who is the uh, hardworking producer of The Kyle Serafin Show, a great addition and has definitely made a big uh, step up in capabilities. You can follow him at Ryan Matta Media. There he is with a salute, uh, just getting hit in the head over and over again by the spinning suspendables logo. You can find him at Ryan Matta Media on Twitter or at Ryan Matta, M-A-T-T-A on True Social. Folks, before you leave, make sure you like this video and uh, we do really appreciate it. One last little thing here. Let me plug my friends. Where is he at? I think I've got a, a, a little piece of the Suspendables merch. If you wanted to see this, this comes through our buddy Garrett O'Boyle. So this is just a free promo that we do for him because he's a, a great guy. And there it is, the Suspendables merch. You can find it at the-suspendables.com, the dash suspendables.com and he's getting ready to start shipping out some of that merch you guys can order that stuff up and uh, you'll be supporting Garrett O'Boyle a man who has uh, put it on the line and is actually uh, hanging out at his house right now to see if the FBI decides to con continue to suspend him forever which is what we expect uh, we'll see you guys again tomorrow and uh, we might have a very interesting interview I'm supposed to be talking to all five of the gentlemen who were just sentenced in this uh, weaponized DOJ we're talking to them 
from prison on the phone tonight. So we'll hopefully get that together and uh, we'll probably be sharing that with you guys tomorrow. Until then, God bless. Have a safe day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter and True Social at Kyle Serafin.